Right. Uh, um, right. Just let this plane go overhead. Oh, it's going. It's gone. Mm. And let this herd of sheep just cross by. <laughs> just let this bomb go off. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to live in a kind of place where just herds of sheep will wander by the window. Oh, They're with like, little oh, guys, bells. Wait, the podcast. Yeah, with little bells and a farmer's mm. like, go on now. Come on. old man. Yeah, Even though his life is so idyllic, he's so unhappy. <laughs> he just so wants to stressed. go to the city and make it. He wants to become business. <sighs> I had dreams. I wanted to be the managing editor of Vogue. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? I, I had a work placement there, but I just couldn't connect with any of them. <laughs> And my rustic ways, and how I manage sheep. But I look good doing it. I look so good doing it. And he strikes a pose, and he's wearing like just just shorts and this really structured blouse. Do you have Do you have the uh, Do you have the copy for the Milan piece? Arr, 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 I'm a Why pirate, is he a pirate too. now. I also yeah. sailed the seven seas. Ah, my goat ate some of the pages. Yar, yar, <laughs> didn't. Didn't want him to bring it here to the offices here at Vogue, here at Condé Nast, but mm. unfortunately, we do have a very open policy with regards to farm animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he he airbud rules it. Just, you <laughs> it know, doesn't, say doesn't say where you can't bring in your goat. God, I love airbud rules again. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me I too. Push it. It allowed me to do so much in life. <laughs> what? what is this? Uh, airbud is a movie where mm-hmm. a dog plays basketball, and the whole reason they justify it is. It doesn't say anywhere in the rules that a dog can't play basketball. So right. doing that is Air Bud rules in it. I love that. Yeah. It's yeah. good stuff. I'm huh? going to use that. Yeah. No one said I couldn't bring Jen to work. Yeah, exactly. Hey. Hi. I'm her emotional support, Jen. Everybody Hello. needs one. Yeah. I have a beanbag in my office. Just That's nowadays. all I have ever needed, Katie. Yeah, I know. All I've ever needed. I just don't get what she's for. I know. I know you don't. Don't. And then I just cry. And Jen holds me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Whilst flipping that person off behind your back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be ready to work in three minutes of this. <laughs> Take objection, but she's been so efficient this quarter. <laughs> quarter. You think in the library you work in quarter? Uh, yeah. What? Because it's a library, you work in like decades or centuries. Yeah, it takes way more time to get anything done. The later period of Katie's employment here has really proven to be one of the more interesting historical periods of this library. Jen and the Film Critic. My name's Jen Blundell and with me as always is my film critic Paul. Say hi Paul. Hello Oppenheimers. <laughs> and who's that? It's not a special who's guest is it? Our very own Barbie. It's Katie Maiden. Say hi, hi. Katie Maiden. <laughs> hi I'm Library Barbie. <laughs> this is Library <laughs> Barbie. Library Barbie, <laughs> Film Critic Barbie and me. <laughs> Oppenheimer. Just <laughs> <laughs> wear the hat, folks. It's amazing. And I look good, isn't it? Oh, um, yeah. This week, uh, we are doing a very special episode, aren't we, Paul? Mm. We certainly are. Yes, we thought it might be an idea to do an episode 
first of all, to reduce the pressure on Jen and the film critic uh, number 20, yeah. that uh, <laughs> probably won't have any films to talk about when we eventually get there, hopefully. I hope. Um, because most other distributors are avoiding this weekend like the plague and have given it a wide, wide berth. And that's because this weekend was the simultaneous release of both, um, I almost called him Michael Nolan, Michael, Michael Nolan, <laughs> Michael Nolan's Barbie, so well researched. <laughs> and Christ- Christopher um, Gerwig's. Gerwig's Oppenheimer, the musical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Christopher Nolan's, I almost said Barbie again, Christopher Yay! Nolan's Oppenheimer and Greta, Ger- Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Greta Gorilla's Barbie. <laughs> which together have spawned the cultural phenomenon known as Barbenheimer. Yes. Um, so would you like to tell us a little bit more about um, about Barbenheimer, Paul? Okay, Katie. About Barbenheimer. Well, when did you guys <laughs> no. like become aware of this thing? Um, we... I like, uh, like it got to a point where everyone was like, oh, they're, like, they're maybe going to be coming out on the same day. And then eventually it was, they are definitely coming out on the same day. And then it was like Barbie and Oppenheimer. And then somewhere, probably on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, someone was like, Barbenheimer and everyone was like that's the thing you know how like do you remember when uh, the the Wagatha Christie thing happened mm-hmm. that was just like some <laughs> random person on Twitter that said Wagatha Christie and it became like a phenomenon it was probably that it's probably yeah. some random just person just takes one, one viral yeah. tweet Our, yeah. or as we're calling it nowadays one vinyl, viral X one I don't viral know X. <laughs> today was the launch of the rebrand for Twitter so it's been very silly um <laughs> <laughs> I think because I am so not aware of stuff, I be most I became aware of Barbenheimer when you told me about it. <laughs> Paul. So I can't tell right. you when I found out about it, but I've definitely seen lots of references to it since. But again, <clears throat> I rely on you for all film. In fact, I make a point of not learning anything about films now. I've got you. So um, mm. there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably for the best. I am. I'm just searching my conversation with Katie to see when we first mentioned Barbie to each other. Um, I have found a little reference in 2018 where it looked like I was going to be living with a guy called Ken and you said you'd be calling me Barbie as a result. <laughs> Do not remember that. But me sending you... Five years ago. So. <laughs> me sending you um, the, the Barbie song in German. Ah. <laughs> and no sure, nine Barbie girl. Yeah. That uh, the male vocalist is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I made the comment, so I look oh, forward to oh. revisiting that. That's from 2018. Oh, big Barbie um, year in 2018. Ich I bin know. Barbie girl. <laughs> ich bin okay. ein Barbie Fräulein. <laughs> 22nd of April 2021, me saying, oh, the Barbie vid is on the way, referring to Jenny Nicholson. Still not here. Yeah, still not. Jenny, Jenny, if you're listening, Jenny Nicholson. Jenny, I know you listen to this. person in the world. Um, yeah. If I have watched the first like, 15 minutes because I am on your Patreon. I am a patron. Oh. You're the only person that I Patreon, Jenny Nicholson. <laughs> and I want my Barbie video <laughs> that you've been making for two years. Dang it. Damn. Uh, I'm still scrolling. I'm on no. Tenterhook. Well, I remember no. I, you sent me a text when we were booking it. And it said, this is a sentence like none, nobody's no. ever going to say again. Katie, we need to have a serious conversation about Barbenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's 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 a very unique phenomenon. So the, the, the history of it essentially is there's a little back and forth thing. Um, a lot of people see it as an act of spite. I'm not sure it quite works mm. out that way because, of course, Christopher Nolan was with Warner Brothers. He's been with Warner Brothers for most of his career. 
He left due to falling out over how they handle their streaming process, i.e. that they have one. <laughs> Nolan's not a fan. <laughs> but also that they are rushing films through the theatrical release process in order to get them onto streaming. He doesn't like that. So he left and went to Universal. And so he's made Oppenheimer's Universal, his first film with them, and Warner Brothers may therefore have scheduled Barbie uh, in sort of retaliation for him leaving. Um, that is the sort of general assumed wisdom as to whether or not that is actually the case, because I know it got swapped out for something else. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of hit. It started with... Um, wh- when did the actual thing get announced? April 2022. That's when it happened. So it was a, a good while in advance, and I think maybe it was when the Barbie trailer dropped. Do you remember the teaser one? The teaser which was, trailer, which is just her yeah. stepping out of the heels. Well, no, it was the 2001 pastiche, which... Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Turns out to be the actual opening sequence of this film. Yeah. Um, spoilers. Spoilers. So, yeah, that, that, I think, started a lot of people talking, and then people started getting excited about Oppenheimer, which was actually teased even earlier. We oh got trailers God. for that last summer. We were seeing that trailer. That, me and Paul go to the cinema a lot. Mm. <laughs> and we were seeing that trailer, honestly, for, like, a year. Like, every yeah. single time it said, like, the syncope, like, thing came up. We were like... yeah. It's Oppenheimer again. Like every single- <laughs> and I think I remember the first time that we saw it at the cinema. I remember being really excited. Yeah, and we I were like, what it was for. oh, it's Oppenheimer, it's Oppenheimer. And then we saw it like every day for like the rest of our yeah. lives. And we were like, okay, we're- <laughs> we've seen this trailer so many times. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it is it is a common occurrence to counter-program. Because if you have two very disparate kind of uh, films mm. and audiences, then yeah, it makes sense to try and release them so that you can appeal to people who are going to be aggressively against whatever is showing. That's why it's always interesting to look at what film studios program against uh, the Super Bowl. (laughs) It's very curious to see what they anticipate is the demographic of people who just aren't going to give a shit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I'm seeing here, like, the earlier, like, they programmed about a boy opposite Attack of the Clones, you know? And... As a result, yeah. enjoyed the strongest opening for a British film that year because some people just were desperate not to see Star Wars. And so the Hugh Grant comedy suddenly appeals quite a bit. How dare they not want to see Hayden Christensen's amazing <laughs> acting in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> I it's, hate yeah. sand. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so coarse and it gets everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, they programmed Mamma Mia to release the same day as The Dark Knight. So Nolan has been involved. Okay. In this situation before, so I, say, but this is... I would have liked uh, like Mama Night or <laughs> <laughs> the Dark Mama, Dark Mama, <laughs> Dark Mama would have been a good, uh, a good, a good weekend. But I think this is the first time mm. that I know of that it has become com- um, the idea of a double feature. Mm. Yes. The idea that you've got to do these two disparate films back to back, and it's yeah. hard to say why. Is it just that the slight saltiness of the accusation against Warner Brothers led to it becoming slightly more viral know. news than it otherwise would and that led to this synergy kind of thing? I, I, mean, I don't know because I wasn't aware of yeah. that like that back and forth between Universal and Warner Brothers at all. No. I think like I, I just think it was because they're, they're like the black movie of Oppenheimer and the pink yeah. movie of Barbie Yeah, and they're so different but also people like us who like both like types yeah. of film yeah, would yeah. go and see both even yeah. though I'm actually so glad that i saw them on different days in the end yes <laughs> by accident but like yes yeah i think i do think that it's that kind of like people who like film in general 
Mm. We'll like both. And so they're like, you know what? I don't have to choose. I'm going to see them on both. I'm going to see them both on opening day or both on the opening weekend. So I don't have to choose. And that's, I think that's a good thing. Like for people who like us who like all cinema. Yeah. There are a lot of similarities between them because they are both very author led. You know, Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan are both these kind of very singular Mm. voices that started up in indie movies and have now become much bigger. Um, and yeah, that there's this sense of of them having complete authorship over the film and them being very aesthetic experiences and those aesthetic experiences being so contrary. It lends itself to really good memes. Yeah. Of, yes. it Which lends is itself what the internet very, thrives on, of course. So. It is. But this is the first time the memes have actually translated to money. Mm-hmm. Like we all remember when everybody get, tried to gaslight the studios into thinking that Morbius was a hit. Yeah, and they yeah. they did that hilarious petition to put Morbius back into cinemas, and so they put it back in cinemas, and so they started a second petition saying, "Sorry, we were all busy that weekend. Please put it back again." That was yeah hilarious, but it didn't make anybody any no. money apart from people selling Morbius shirts. It was saying it's Morbin time. Yeah, like this is the first time that actually Twitter showed up at cinemas. I think it's because there was interesting. genuine excitement for both films yeah i yeah. think and they fueled each other yeah exactly and they're su- just such polar opposites but both look like really good movies that you would have yeah. gone to go see anyway the idea of turning it into a double feature it's not like mamma mia and the dark knight you were going to mm. mamma mia does not stand up to the dark knight <laughs> not <laughs> much not... stands up to the dark knight honestly no, like no. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like you were ever going to get the whole audience excited about the idea of double billing that whereas yeah. this and the memes, I think, were made with such love and excitement for the concept of it being yeah. real that uh, yeah. it's uh, it really got people on board. People made yeah, it. Did. <laughs> there was some sincerity. We saw, we saw people with shirts. Yeah. Mm. With Barb, not with Barbie, with Barbenheimer Barb shirts. shirts. Yeah. I yeah. sent you it's... one today on WhatsApp, and I was like, I yeah, need, yeah. I need this Barbenheimer shirt. And they're going to yeah. be really good niche shirts to wear in a few years' yeah. time, and people will be like, oh yeah, Barbenheimer. Yes. I remember yeah. that. I remember that. I remember this. That. This, ter- this reminded people that cinema is an event. Mm. That when movies come out, there is a limited window. Yeah. It's not just a case of, oh, well, I'll catch it whenever I can. There is a limited window to enjoy this when it is at the peak of its relevance, when it's when everybody's talking about it, and when it's in big screens. Yeah, very you big know? screens and, and in some case. <laughs> it, just, it just brought that immediacy to cinema again, which I think made it a must-see thing. And everybody now had to share about what their Barbenheimer plans are. You know, how are you doing it? How are you structuring it? What cinemas are you doing? And suddenly this became a big talking point. And the BFI even put out a unique graphic, you know, that had Oppenheimer at the IMAX and Barbie at the South Bank, Mm -hmm. you know, one in pink, one in black. And it was, you just had to have it. And it's crazy that both movies, and remember, one of them is a three-hour R-rated biopic about one of the greatest atrocities ever committed in the in the twentieth century and possibly all the time. The other one and they both sold out. <laughs> <laughs> ah, look at this chick. I wasn't even ready for that. That's how Houdini died. <laughs> Rug pulled out from under him. Ah, got him. <laughs> you gotta catch him on a way if you're trying to kill a magician. So but yeah, like it became this huge thing and they've both massively sold out and done huge box office and it's amazing. I love it. You know, I mean, obviously you have to have some perspective. This still isn't like, you know, Pretty Red Dress and Medusa, you know, it's still, you know, it's, it's still big studio movies, one mm. of which is 
a Mattel product, you know, yeah. it's still like a toy advert aside from anything else, but it's still great that both movies are doing so well and that there is such a love for going to the cinema right now. Yeah, I mean, when we went to see Barbie, I'm sure we'll talk about this, mm. but the, the yeah. audience was great. You know, there yeah. were people yeah. clapping and wooing and laughing yep. and dressing Did up. Did you hear crying? I heard crying. You heard crying? Oh, I, I think I also heard some crying. Well, that yeah. might have been from me. <laughs> that might have been from me. <laughs> I was sat behind the two of you, so yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, I had tears in my eyes at points. I'm, like, oh I'm crying um, at the Barbie movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I got a tear in the eye for both of them. So uh, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we should get into the movie so we okay. can talk more about the phenomenon. Okay. So, which one do you want to talk about first, Jen? Uh, the one that gave me a minor <laughs> existential crisis. Or the one that <laughs> gave you a major existential crisis. <laughs> uh, major existential crisis. Uh, no. <laughs> that is something that's common to both, is troubling thoughts about death. Troubling thoughts about death. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I don't know. Which Should we do them in the order you two saw them in? Sure. Could do. The yeah, unofficial, do. Or, like, originally posted order that you were supposed to see them in. We were originally- well, this is the yes. This was the order that Diana Prince, Wonder Woman herself, uh, assured us that we should watch it in because Barbie was born into Oppenheimer's world. Yeah. Although I have a theory that in fact <laughs> Oppenheimer <laughs> is what happens when Ken's world gets out of control. <gasps> Spoilers. <gasps> Spoilers. We'll talk about that. I um, right. disagree. Not enough horses. There were horses that's in true. Oppenheimer, but there, there, were, were, no horses. Horses. there were horses. There were horses. There were horses. That's the, that's the not enough horses. Factor, yeah. Oppenheimer. You know what? Oppenheimer's Knuff. And I feel like <laughs> nobody Knuff. was there to tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's do Oppen let's, let's do, do Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer first. Yeah, yeah. whichever yeah. you whichever you want. You never you, want. you never have dessert first. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oppenheimer. So, uh, Kate, Katie, do you want to do a a, a basic synopsis? Yeah, I mean, so Oppenheimer. For those of you that um, you know haven't seen it and don't know the history, <laughs> is a biopic <laughs> about Rob- Robert Oppenheimer. And uh, essentially, there's kind of two running storylines. Mm-hmm. There's a storyline of Killian Murphy playing Robert Oppenheimer, and from his like um, time before he was, you know, before he was creating the bomb. So his time mm. at university, his time as a professor, and then his time working on the bomb. But running concurrently to that, there is the story of Robert Downey Jr.'s character Strauss. Is it Strauss or? Strauss. Well, he says it's Strasser, but it's Strasser, it but I think it's Strauss. Strauss. Anyway, yeah. Strauss, who is, which is shot in black and white. So you've got the color mm. version with Killian Murphy, black and white version with um, Robert Downey Jr. Strauss, mm. and that's his appointment, or his yes. his kind of, or, you know, his his trying to work towards an appointment on the American version of the cabinet in a. Yeah, the American yeah. cabinet. He's something yeah. of commerce. I can't remember what they call it. It's not minister, but yeah, it, it, I think it is. Yeah. actually. Minister. Minister for Commerce? I think uh, U.S. Like that, uh, Secretary of State. For, uh, Secretary, Secretary of, of Commerce. State. Yeah, so. U.S. Secretary, Secretary of, of Commerce. Commerce. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they, they kind of, it's almost like they're both on trial. So Oppenheimer is having this kind of, he's telling his it, story because he is trying to renew his Secret Service clearance. Yeah. And Strauss is telling his story because he is um, being, being kind grilled. of grilled to, to be on this, on the American version of the cabinet. Yeah, the Senate has to vote, right, to approve him. Yes. So yeah. he gathers uh, various intellects from yeah. around the United States and also around the world mm. to come and help him 
create the atomic bomb at los alamos obviously at los alamos um which is near where him and his brother have a ranch Mm -hmm. and uh new mexico right yes yeah new mexico yeah and then so obviously they create the bomb spoilers for history (laughs) if you don't know history um (laughs) and they um do the kind of test explosion but that's okay Stuff. Yeah, not too many spoilers. So, I mean, no. obviously, if you know the history, <laughs> if you know the history, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I think your average person probably won't know that much about his history. Mm. All like literally good stuff. As me as a plebeian, literally all I knew was that Oppenheimer invented the bomb. And that's <laughs> right. all I knew about him. <laughs> yeah, he worked on the Manhattan Project in some like I just knew the name Oppenheimer and a tot like atomic bomb guy. Yeah. And that's yeah, it. it is curious. That's the main legacy. That and the sort of I am become death, destroyer of worlds thing. Yeah. Although I was looking because famously someone else who was there at the um who was there at the atomic explosion then turned to him and said, Well now we all, now we are all sons of bitches. <laughs> um which doesn't get said in the film. No, it does not. <laughs> oh man. It's not really it's an R rating. Just for it's it not in. as it's not as poetic, but I do quite like it. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, we're seeing in the early stages, we're seeing this very subjective experience of Oppenheimer, including these tiny little glimpses into what Einstein calls his atomic world. You know, his his, his world of sort of a quantum world, mm. he calls it. So we're seeing these whenever he describes like a sun dying or, you know, the uh, uh, particles, you know, accelerating or just these sorts of things. We get little glimpses into the sort of chaos, this yeah. impressions of light and darkness and it's very exhilarating. And that opening sequence, which covers his time abroad before he sort of, Europe, as they yeah. say, in Europe, mm. before they he brought quantum um, physics to the United States, mm. is very is an impression of a really frantic mind. Yeah. You know, a very troubled man. Um, yeah. And he wasn't really like skews. sleeping and he was like yeah. know, lashing out and he, he just couldn't. He mm. wasn't happy. I think one of the first yeah. lines is, were you happy there? And he says, yeah. no. No. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. You can compare it to more formally conventional uh, sort of biopics of characters like him. Things like The Theory of Everything, the um, uh, Stephen Hawking thing, or The Imitation Game, the, uh, yep. what's his name now? Turing. Alan uh, Turing. Babbit- Alan Turing, yes. I was thinking of Babbage. That's the computer programming That's guy. 200 <laughs> years before that. That's 200 <laughs> years before. So we're in trouble. But um, yeah, you could just see that like already Nolan is injecting cinema into it. Yeah. And the uh, this sequence can feel a little bit rushed. You know, there are moments where we're just kind of running through it. But that kind of just, again, makes sense as part of Oppenheimer's subjective experience. You know, he experiences these really rushed moments with his brother because that's how it kind of feels at this stage looking back, that everything just went incredibly quickly. And, you know, and at this stage, we do meet the two women in his life. Uh, we meet uh, Florence Pugh, who plays his first wife. And, I don't know uh, if they Emily. ever get married. They're not, married. They're not married. We had oh, this no, no. Sorry, they're lovers. <laughs> They've just got Janet. a very intense uh, relationship. <laughs> yes. Uh, and her name's Janet. Jo- jo- is it Janet? Or no. Joan or Ruth? Oh, Joan. Joan. I think it's Joan. Isn't it? Something Joan, like that. Uh, Tatlock. Jean. 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 Tatlock. There we go. Jean. 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 That's it. One letter got off. And Emily Blunt plays his actual wife, Kitty. Kitty mm. Oppenheimer. And he meets them both. And again, we're given just sort of the, the key elements of their relationship. We have the scene of him hooking up with Florence Pugh. Then we have a scene of her like not wanting to be seen publicly with him on the street. And then the next thing we're seeing the scene where they break up. Like, it's just like the core moments there. And 
again, although you love the two performances because Florence Pugh and um, Emily Blunt are both amazing, you know, you want to see more of them, but you do get the impression that this just demonstrates that Oppenheimer was all about his work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was, mm-hmm. it was all about the quantum film and that's where he comes alive and it's where the film comes alive because that is the core excitement for him is making the science actually work mm. and i think that's what kind of carries him into the morally dubious act of creating the actual bomb itself yeah um early on it's sowing the threads of why the united states is going to want to destroy him afterwards yeah you know he's got his communist associations he's an outsider he doesn't quite fit in He's the way Jewish. everyone else does. He's Jewish. And there's a lovely little bit of needling that goes on between him yeah. and uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, which I didn't notice the first time, where Strauss says, um, oh, Strauss or Strauss, or whatever the other pronunciation is, um, says, oh, no, he corrects him. He says it's actually you know, Strauss. Mm. Strauss. Yeah, he says it's actually Strauss. Everyone around here says Strauss. And Oppenheimer says, well, Oppenheimer or Oppenheimer, everybody knows I'm Jewish. Mm. And then he has a response to that. And it's it's kind of like a, you know, the underlying tension there between his German name and his um, sort of Jewish name has, you know, is very plainly there. And yeah, anti-Semitism forms a very interesting part of it early on in the story. Um, and it's sowing the seeds. And then during the actual building of the bomb, you see the mistrust with which he is treated, you know, that he's valued, but hated. Mm. And then obviously that becomes a big part of the third act where they just tear him apart. Yeah, which is... Yeah. It, it, I love the way that um, Oppenheimer as a historical figure is controversial and you don't know what to think about no. him. And I yeah. love the way in the film he's a controversial figure and you yeah, don't yeah, know yeah. what to think about him. Like yeah. you come out, yeah. There's no way he didn't come out. Nobody came out and was like, you know what? That guy was great. <laughs> Nobody came out and was like, he was a bastard. Everybody's coming out and being like, I am conflicted. And because that is human. what history says <laughs> yeah. about Oppenheimer. Yeah. And that is how history will remember him ultimately and yeah. i don't think that nolan changed that and i don't think he should have changed that so i thought that was no. really amazing absolutely i love the fact that he's you know he never apologizes because he didn't he didn't apologize for you know hiroshima or nagasaki he still justified it in the context of it being necessary mm. and it does a good job of expressing the idea of the anxiety behind that you know the idea of i if we don't create this bomb the nazis will and the nazis will have a bomb and they're herding people into camps yeah. So what will that mean for us? But then once the Nazis are defeated, there's this p- crucial scene where um, the people working at Los Alamos have organized a sort of talking uh, sort of thing where it's like, Hitler's dead. Why are we still here? And, he, and then the, the justification moves on to Japan. And the movie does a good job of f- demonstrating why, what the for and against that was. You know, that people at the time thought there will be no defeat unless there is a major invasion of the mainland, mm. which will cost countless lives. But then later on, we hear they were basically fighting a defe- an already defeated foe yeah. and could a blockade yeah. have essentially done the same thing. I mean, yeah. obviously, the argument against it is mostly the casualties of the yeah. people which they, that weren't in the army, you know, which civilian Which is underplayed. Yeah. yeah, which they, t- they are told because at one point they say because there was firebombing of Japan. Mm. Uh, before that which cost you know a huge number of lives and they're told well the nuclear bomb should actually be fewer casualties than that the firebombing of tokyo and you don't know the extent to which you know this was the case but there's an idea that actually they did not realize how many people they were going to kill they also didn't anticipate fallout yeah yeah i mean like the literal like decade of people that were affected by the nuclear waste 
Yeah. So it's a complete unknown. But these are all the justifications, and they are shown, and you kind kind of get behind them. But then later on, they just fall apart. Yeah. And in particular, when some of the scientists under his team sort of start saying, "We're we're putting a petition together to warn Japan before we use the weapon, mm. so that they can evacuate the cities." Um, you know, so that it, it can it can just be a just a demonstration rather than a massacre. Uh, but Oppenheimer refuses to sign, saying, you know, just because we made the bomb doesn't mean that we are any more entitled to have a say in how it's used. Mm. Yeah, so he kind of not places I wouldn't say he places his trust in in the in the president or the government or whatever. Mm. But I think he just washes his hands of it once yes. it's like so once it's gone. Mm. Yeah, it's like I am the scientist. The yeah, yeah, I am the scientist. I created this. It's not my choice where they drop it. And ultimately, it wasn't his choice where they dropped it. But without him, the bomb wouldn't have been created. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's causality. He can't wash himself his hands of the causality of these lives yeah. that essentially he did, like contribute towards. Yeah, and 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 later on, uh, Strass even says, you know, I gave him exactly what he wanted that he would be remembered for Trinity and not for Hiroshima. Mm. You know, and that's the thing is his name is massively asserted with the creation of the bomb, but is allowed to be separated from the actual act. And I have seen some people complain that the movie doesn't feature any Japanese perspective, but this is very much Oppenheimer's story. And I think that's part of the, the horror of it is the idea that he did make this bomb. They took it off in boxes. He had a sleepless night and in the morning hears that it was used. Yeah. Mm. And, and like he hears like on the radio that it yeah. was used. And like, obviously, that is probably how he would have heard but i think the i actually am glad that nolan didn't show yeah. any kind of like japanese casualties or anything because i think mm. that would have basically added a kind of layer of like humanity to it where like obviously you're gonna feel bad at that point mm. so mm. you're you're kind of you're gonna be swayed towards the side of hating oppenheimer as opposed mm. to having that kind of back and forth if that makes yeah. sense and also yeah. i guess he never saw it no, so but we no do point. get a little yeah. uh, moment of him watching a slideshow. Yeah. A slideshow, um, yes, true. Yeah, yeah. but uh, no, I think also to do justice to the scale of it, you'd have needed yeah. to include so much. Like yeah. it would yeah. have taken so much to actually put that on film in a way that felt uh, right, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah, and with so Nolan think... doing things the way he does them, it would have been prohibitive. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think it's almost better to just do that thing of you know you look at looking at. Now, in this in the scene where you see him see the side slideshow, just seeing him yeah. wince and look away from things. Yeah. That's about all you need to to realise that this guy's been incredibly stoic so far. Mm. Even he's looking away at this moment. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I wanna get into some performances, but before we do, let's talk about some sequences. Um mm-hmm. going through I think the first thing to talk about is the uh, the oft talked about uh, sex scenes that are in this movie because <laughs> mm-hmm. Nolan hasn't featured much in the way of nudity in the past so there was a big thing you know everybody saying oh my god there's nudity in this one and it's Ooh. and someone online who saw a preview screening was like it's nudity like only Christopher Nolan could do which obviously led to a lot of you know anti-gravity <laughs> <laughs> jokes but if anything it's weirder than that so we get an early lovemaking scene between Florence Pugh and Oppenheimer um, which is interesting I also saw people saying, um, people were joking with the trailer with um, what would it would be if uh, Marvel had made the movie. And it's like Oppenheimer saying, I am destroy- I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. And then Matt Damon saying, well, that happened. <laughs> and, <laughs> something like that. And then someone commenting, actually, the real way in which that movie is introduced in the film is actually a bit stranger, that line. 
the way in which it's introduced because yeah. it's introduced during that sex scene um but it's all about contrast i feel like like even in these moments of sort of intimacy because the next scene is this incredible sequence during the hearing mm. um which i was watching that and it's basically he's being grilled on his relationship with tatlock and i remember thinking we're cutting between them naked in these armchairs uh post-coitally um and it occurs to me oh i would intercut i think between the sex scene and this really dry like you know, horrible, cold, clinical examination of him where you've got, like, the hard wooden desks and the unflattering lighting, and meanwhile in the in the hotel room it's the warm lighting and the soft sheets. I would somehow try to contrast that softness with this hardness. And then Nolan does that in a much more direct way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was, that was such an amazing... Yeah. And I was like, also, I was like, that's hot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was also like, that's... But you know what I loved the bit where they are sitting in the armchairs. So there's a scene yeah. like you mentioned, they're sitting in the armchairs, they're both naked. Um mm. and how realistic that yeah. is. Yeah. Because I'm <laughs> sure everybody that has had sex <laughs> has had that thing where you're still naked, but you're just mm. having a conversation. Yeah. And you're just like, now we're having a conversation about whatever. whatever. Real mm. example, colonizing Mars. Real example. Like, <laughs> you know, just but you're just still naked because you couldn't be asked to like put clothes on. Yeah. I get like, fully dressed again in moments after climax. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> you're just still fully clothed through the whole thing. But yeah. 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 I just have a mo- I just undo the modesty panel. Yeah. <laughs> panel. Panel. <laughs> like it's I wooden. Just... Like... <laughs> yes. Paul's old little wooden boy. A little wooden I boy. Built, I built Paul to keep me company in my old age. Oh, my little marionette ball. In your old age of being, what, 32? 33, <laughs> thank you. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> she had a very special wish and I came to life, or yeah. at least as much as this is. Yeah. <laughs> I can go to cinemas. So that sequence was amazing. Um, like the sequence, okay, so the Trinity test was yes. oh, yeah, breathtaking, literally. <gasps> like, you feel it coming, you build up the tension, you know, and everything from her just sort of putting the bedsheets out the night before, you know, to the actual explosion is just sheer tension. Yeah. Because you know you're about to see one of the most extraordinary things you're ever going to see in yeah. a film. Yeah. I could feel everyone around us holding our breath. And just yeah. for a slight brag, Paul and I saw this on Tuesday, <gasps> four days before it was preview. out. <laughs> Thank you, Sight and Sound. Yeah. And, um, and you could feel the whole cinema, yeah, like waiting for the tension to break. And it, it, it he like build it up, and then he let it sit. Yeah, yeah. Let the tension sit until it broke, and that was the yeah. moment where I was like, "Please break the tension! Please break the tension!" <laughs> and then it did, and it was yeah. the best release. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" But also, yeah. that was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Ludwig Göransson's score is amazing in those moments. The sort of very deep cello sounds he's doing. Not much in the way of drums, just a sort of... It's just like building up. It's like that. And it's just, it's really weird and disconcerting and slightly alien. And then, yeah, it's just the explosion happens in light. In light and footage and just the sounds of breathing. And then the massive explosion comes and it's just, yeah. Ugh. It's incredible. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And then potentially he outdoes himself because then we have Mm -hmm. the auditorium sequence where having triumphed, triumphed, he 
comes out to give a speech, a sort of rabble-rousing speech to the people who worked at uh, Los Alamos. At which point he experiences a vision of sorts. And it's this horrible contrast between the very jingoistic, war-mongery things that he's saying and the absolute horror that is beginning to seep into his perceptions of his own actions. And it's terrifying. Mm. Yeah, It's really frightening. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's not only really frightening, but also just, like, something I don't think I've ever seen before in cinema. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's horror. It's just completely unique. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a horror sequence as well, and it's it's a Nolan-directed horror sequence, and it's just beautiful. And then I think, yeah, there's another similar sequence later on where he's in the hearing, and he has another kind of PTSD-style kind of attack, and there's this bright light, and it's just... Yeah, it's... Ugh. It's quite something. Mm-hmm. We're seeing in as large a screen as possible. Oh my god! With very it good looks sound so system. Yes, the sound. Oh my <laughs> god! The, the chairs were shaking in the BFI IMAX. Sometimes. Yeah, they were. <laughs> very good. Oh, very Major good. films like this, literally. Uh. <laughs> uh, okay, shall we have a look at a couple of performances before? Yes. We start? Yes. Well, Cillian Murphy. Yeah. Cillian Murphy was absolutely outstanding. I have yeah. nothing more to say. He was just iconic. His- yeah, his face, just like you yeah. know those up close shots of his face mm-hmm. and yeah. his bright blue eyes and his gaunt cheeks mm. and those mm. tiny yeah. movements. He didn't overplay yeah. anything. He no. was no. perfect. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh, I just could look at his face making tiny adjustments yeah. all day. Yeah. <sighs> I remember when Tarantino made the Hateful Eight. He said, "Well, I'm going to get close to my actors because even though it's 70 millimeter, you know, IMAX footage." You know, and it's used to usually to do like landscapes. Why not do the landscape of somebody's face? Mm-hmm. And I really felt that here. This is the landscape of Gillian yeah. Murphy's face. He's taking up that giant screen so often with like shallow depth of focus so that the background is blurred. And sometimes he's slipping out in and out of, mm-hmm. of the, the focus mm-hmm. um, because it's so shallow and it's just haunting. He's got haunting eyes. This yeah. Oh, yeah. Murphy. And, and oh, yeah. Killian looks like him. He looks yes, like he really and does. sounds like him. Yeah. If you see him interviewed, he gets the if not the exact voice, he gets the cadence. Okay. Yeah. He is the he cadence is, is perfect. Perfectly cast. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, he's been, you know, he's I I imagine he's one of those people who gets cast for something and then like puts his whole life into it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, there's this he's got to be part of the Oscar conversation. Oh, a hundred. Oh, I would for be sure. So surprised and disappointed if he was not nominated Mm. yep and one last note on him is that christopher nolan cast him in every movie from like batman begins through to inception um oh no through to the dark knight rises because he does appear as scarecrow in Mm. in a bunch of his movies um but he's not the first movie he made without him is interstellar interstellar uh which is about matthew mcconaughey spending you know the whole movie pining for a character named murphy so you see the, the true bromance yeah. was behind the camera. <laughs> yeah. uh, I but love also... that. I love it when a director is yeah. like so connected to an actor yeah. because yeah. It, it really gives you this like sense of I don't know, like almost like a like a running thing through their films, even when it's not a <coughs> yeah. running film series, like yeah. like Bill Murray in all of Wes Anderson's oh, films. Yeah. Because he wasn't there in Astro City because of he had COVID. You, were, you yeah. felt it. You were like, oh, where's Bill Murray? 
Uh, but also part of that Oscar conversation, I think, needs to be Robert Downey Jr. as Louis yes. Strauss in supporting yes. actor because it's the best performance he's given for a very long time. He's been so up in the Marvel machine mm-hmm. that it is <laughs> wonderful machine. to see him play a character again for the first time since, I don't know, Zodiac? Zodiac, like... one of my favorite films of all time. <laughs> like, he just he disappears into this role for the most part. There are a couple of points where he still does his Robert Downey Jr. thing. <laughs> The slightly flouncy kind of, um, yeah, with, you know. the, with the head, you know, he does that head movement. Do you know? What yeah, I'm he does about? that. Yes, he does. He does a yeah, sort of. He also does movement. a slight twist. You know, yeah. in, in this, he's doing it menacingly, of just sort of, yeah, you know, kind <laughs> of thing. And he can't help his run, but it is still, yeah, it's 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 a wonderful performance, full of yeah. menace and oh, just a, a, an awful lot of charisma as well. You know, you get the sense of this guy, oh. but I love. The conversation they have about him. What's the line he has? Where he's just like, "Ah, oh, so you're a humble shoe ma- shoe salesman." No, just a shoe. No, salesman. just a shoesman. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that was so very good. good. Yeah, very yeah. well delivered. He was. He was very. Um, you could tell that he's like looking for revenge. He had like a revengey yeah. thing about him that was like yeah. for vengeance. He was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and, and I was like, oh, I don't like him. <laughs> for the whole thing, I was like, I'm scared. <laughs> All right, a quick run through some others then. Emily Blunt, I really loved her. I loved yes. her dressing down of the general yep. near the oh, end. Oh, yeah, that's, that's oh, a yes. great oh, scene. Yeah. That's yep. a really good character scene. Yeah. Um, Florence Pugh? Florence Pugh, I, I loved her. I loved her as, like, she's playing a similar role to, like, Mal in Inception, you know? She's, like, the specter that haunts him, mm. you know? It's a, a very troubled kind of role, and you feel like there's so much more to her that we don't get to find out because Oppenheimer did not have the tools to find out what was really at the heart of her what was bothering her yeah yeah no he was not the right guy she had like helping she, her yeah. through things i was about no. to say she was the the character with serious mental health problems yeah and that really came across even Absolutely. though she didn't have loads of screen time yeah. i also just i do enjoy her absolute uh, hatred of flowers that she's brought by him that was <laughs> so funny yeah. yeah can i talk about matt damon matt damon because yeah. i feel these are freaking loved him in this yeah Right, he was so good, and he was like every time he was on screen, I was like, "Yes, I love this character." And I don't know what it is yeah. I liked about him. It was just he's a... warm. Yes, yeah, he, he is warm. He was, he was, he's clearly there for the job, but he also mm. him and Oppenheimer had this very like respect, like connection, mm. yeah, respect for each other. Like when he turns up straight away, and like he's like, "You're not on the list," but he knew immediately no. it was him that he wanted. Mm. Yeah, because he wasn't on the list. Yeah, that's that was the thing. He's like, um, oh, what what if they told you about me? Nothing. That's why I'm here, you know, kind of yeah. thing. It's just, yeah, you know. he was great. But also, I loved him. He also gets a couple of good gags. I enjoy the yeah. gag of just, um, <laughs> it's like, and are you sure you can trust them if outside of the project? Well, I'll have him killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's kind of not joking. He's kind of not joking. Um. Okay. Speaking of, well. Okay, let's talk. Josh Hartnett is in this film. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes, he is. Looking, he's looking, Dilf. <laughs> he's getting looking. some Dilf vibes going yeah. on, which is a surprise. And yeah, he's in here. He's playing the professor who sort of is doing all this. Sort of that was. Yes. yes that was oh my god. <laughs> that was me through the whole film. I was like, yeah. Yeah, okay. Josh oh my Hartnett. god. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Wow. Looking good, actually. Yeah, really. Yeah, really bringing the. Uh, yeah, looking good in his this age, whatever age. Yeah, whatever age he is. <laughs> he's forty-five. Oh, oh no, wow. He's, oh, 
Yeah, he is. <laughs> yes. He'll never be 45. 90s heartthrob <laughs> Joshua Daniel Hartnett is 45 years old. God. He's <laughs> like, he's, yeah. He's very well, good at this. more now, I... actually, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. But he's great in this because he's I love great. what he represents, which is the side of the institution that is friendly with Oppenheimer, but is not comfortable with his baggage. He doesn't like politics. that he's involved. Yeah. With his politics, he doesn't like that he's uh, involved in the Spanish Civil War. He doesn't like his communist affiliations. Yeah. But he clearly has respect for the guy, and you get yeah. the impression that was a recurring theme. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. This. He was great in that. Um, also, um, I really like that moment, Paul, that we had when mm. Rami Malek turned up on the screen. Rami Malek we shows up in this movie. And we were like, why is Rami Malek <laughs> in this movie? Rami Malek, he was yeah. really good. And the one scene that he had that was like the important scene, mm. where he like... His you know, testimony. The yeah, mm. his testimony. It was great. I was like, yeah. do you know what? I, I, I was like, yes, actually. Yes, Rami Malek. He worked perfectly in that scene. And I thought he was I a often... great... Like, I guess cameo is the word, right? It kind of is. He is in it a couple of times. Yeah. Um, because he's a guy who is working at Los Alamos. And then, well, I don't no, know if he is actually, he's, but he's involved yeah. in the political campaign because he gives him the um, uh, the thing, the petition to yeah. Truman. Um, and, you know, <laughs> Oppenheimer throws it back in his face. At which point he is exhibiting many of the issues I have with Rami Malek, which is that he can be a bit of a uh, Johnny Depp style um kind of com- comedy like character dramatist, actor. yeah yeah like mm. dramatist kind of thing rather than a sort of good actor but he did do the testimony scene really well yes now <laughs> the big question we need to ask ourselves where was niels bohr actually from because oh kenneth Branagh, <laughs> he's danish it says oh he's no danish. he was not because we came out we were like <laughs> Is he Russian? Is he South African? South Africa. Jen said South African. Like, where is he from? (laughs) Well, I think. But yeah, did not get Danish. Sounds like a very Dutch name to me, though. Is it? Yeah, because you you guess Dutch. Yeah. Was it the Dutch who settled? Well, you know, that was colonized. Yes, it was South Africa. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was the Dutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But no, he's Danish. I don't know. Um, well, <laughs> it's a ropey accent for Mr. Brano, as, yeah. as it always is. We had we had an advert before this for the, at the BFI Max for the third Poirot movie called oh, Death yeah. in Venice. Death in Venice, yeah. 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 With Mich- Michelle Yeoh in it. Like, oh yeah. my God. Michelle Yeoh. I hope, and I, I was like, wow, an terrible. actual horror. F- oh, it's the horror film. Okay, okay, okay. And then we got then that Poirot. mustache and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. That is a ghost. In Venice. <laughs> that was him in this movie. Yeah. We... This movie, that was his Danish impression. So we oh. mention Gary Oldman. Yes, Gary Oldman is here. He plays um President, I, uh, President Truman. Yeah. Doing a much better and more it's a big performance, but I found it significantly more nuanced than his uh Winston Churchill mm. performance, which great. I will never ever stop putting down because I hated that movie. He, um, he, he, was... he was like, I hated Truman by the end of that one yeah. scene. Yeah. I was yeah. like, yeah, it's what perfect. a dick. And, yeah. then, and then I was like, I was like, where was Gary Oldman? And at the end, you were like, he was Truman. I was like, oh my God, yes, he was. <laughs> like, I didn't even recognize him. Yeah. Oh, he's very good. Yeah. All right. A couple more people before we uh, move on. Benny Safdie played one of the um, scientists, the one with the deep Hungarian voice. Oh, and I um, really. Teller. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Teller. Um, yeah. Loved him. 
just loved his vibe. He came, he was very much the disruptor. He's the one who f- wanted to make the hydrogen bomb yeah. throughout the entire thing involving heavy water. Uh, no, not heavy water. Um, that's what they indicate to them, that the Nazis have taken the wrong track. But just hydrogen bomb, which would acquire a fission bomb anyway. Um, and so... Yeah, they, they, he just, he's there and he's not very helpful. He's sort of disrupting things, but he's just got this great voice. And in the end, he's, you know, involved in the politics of the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, mm. I really enjoyed his character. Um, very proud of myself, Paul. What nationality oh? did I guess that Teller was based on his accent? Uh, I don't know. You can't even remember my brilliance. <laughs> I guessed Hungarian. He wasn't. Yes, he did. Hungarian American. Well, there and you I think go. That's a testament to that performance. It's also a yes, testament to... to the fact that you speak. 5,000 languages. Not Hungarian, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And he also, yeah, yeah. The guy who played him, he's, he's got a certain bushiness of eyebrow that is definitely mm. present in the original Edward Teller. Yes, oh, wow. Yes, his eyebrows well, are fantastic. I want those eyebrows. Well, I re- based purely on eyebrows. <laughs> I mean, I love Benny Safdie. He's shown up in a few things. He was in Licorice Pizza as the gay okay. politician. Remember the gay politician that... Um, Alina Hyam um, has to like, that's not her name. What's it? Is it chick Alana? from Hyam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, chick from Hyam. Like, she works for him and then she's his beard a little bit because he wants him, her to come to a restaurant. Oh, yeah. Late in the movie. She spends the whole third of the movie working for a politician. Yeah. He plays yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. But also, the two of them, uh, he and his brother, Josh, are directors who made Good Time and Uncut Gems. So. Oh, that film that I love. <laughs> <laughs> Very good film. Two more performances before we move on. One of them is Jason Clark, who for the entire second, like for the last hour of the movie is kind of like, he's the pr- uh, the, pers- the prosecutor, kind of, it's not a trial, but he's essentially <laughs> the guy who is, you know, cross-examining um, Oppenheimer, and he's very good, very oh my intense. God, I viscerally hated him. Yes. Which is a sign That's of a good thing. performance, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And then finally, Tom Conti, um... Uh, Nina Conti's dad, weirdly, if anyone knows who Nina Conti is, the comedian yeah. who uses the puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's been in a bunch of cute, of uh, Nolan's films and plays Einstein. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was a very endearing rendition of Einstein, I thought. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, one other um, Einstein I really I loved him, but my I think mm. my favorite rendition rendition of Einstein, portrayal uh-huh. of Einstein, is Andy Serkis. Um, oh, right. Einstein and Eddington, Eddington played by... Ooh. and it's, it's Ooh. really good yeah, i need really to see good. that that sounds yeah good. definitely like... watch it like it's it, a much more like you know light-hearted uh, yeah. you know kind of general story but yeah. um he's a great he's a great Einstein anyway. incredible but i mean there's even more performances than that there are another were just amazing so it's it's a real actor's movie I think, you know, I mean, Nolan's you this Casey big... Casey Affleck in there for like five seconds. Yes, that was unusual. <laughs> you know, he's he's kind of terrifying. Like, you know. Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> IRL. And I think that kind of, uh, yeah, fed into things a little bit and helped appreciate the sort of menace of that performance and that character because that's really when you start to get the impression that the secret police are watching this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. a scary, scary thing. <sighs> Anything else to say on... Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Yes. <laughs> uh, Agreed. It's very Agreed. intense. I know that doesn't. Agreed. It's obvious, but it really is. You know, it's yeah. a heavy top. Yes, it's a biopic, but yeah. I mean, I was just, I, I was saying to you, Paul. I think you could, with the last. Th- so it's essentially three acts. With the yeah. last act, it brings it back round to definitely being a biopic. 
if you cut yeah. it off after the end of the second one, it could also be a very good film on its own, but it yeah. would be more the story of the bomb. Uh, yeah. But either way, you're dealing with that topic. And so don't then uh, walk around London for like two hours berating your friend about whatever madness is going through your brain because you've watched a scary <laughs> film about bombs. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, you did. I am. Um... <laughs> One of the things to say about it as well is that it's like you mentioned, it's three hours long. Yeah, uh-huh. and there are some fi- yeah. there are some films that have absolutely no business being three, being hours. three hours, and one of the ones that comes to mind is Bo is Afraid, which is nearly three oh, hours. Oh yeah, and me and Paul yeah. felt it because it was <laughs> not. This film has business being that long. Yeah. Like it's like I sat there, I did not need to pee through the whole thing. Yeah, was, yep, good, good show, Katie. And also, <laughs> I felt that I did not feel like no. I had been there for three hours. Yeah, no, no not at all. It went very fast. <sighs> Still, yeah. definitely it, give yourself a nice e- easy evening after you've watched it. Yeah. Maybe bring definitely. like a cushion, like Jen yeah. did. <laughs> I mean, I, that was to Barbie. I originally was supposed to be seeing both films on the same day. Yes. And so I had brought a cushion with me for comfort. Because I need, I find the, the funniest BF- parts of the film. BFI IMAX, wonderful cinema, but I need a little bit more lumbar support. <laughs> bring, bring, hashtag bring lumbar support. Bring lumbar support. <laughs> And also, I found our evening got substantially better once it involved Korean barbecue and ice cream. Agreed. So if Agreed. you can schedule that into your Barmenheimer experience, then <laughs> yeah. you will be fine. Um, yeah, it is, it's, it's a very intense experience, but I have twice now seen it hold a, a full audience, a sold-out oh, yeah. audience, absolutely wrapped oh, yeah. for three hours long. And I think that is a real testament to... Yeah, it's wonderful. Nolan's filmmaking, the great script, and just everybody's performances because, yeah, so few people got up to use the bathroom during that movie. Mm. You know, it just, ah, uh, it's it's kind of a miracle. This thing, I'm kind of in love with it. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. It speaks very highly of you. Mm. <laughs> and of us I for being friends did. with you. Yeah, we're great, aren't we, Katie? <laughs> it's like, wow, Paul's it's great. It's a but, feet. But his friends, man, they his are. His friends, hot. superb. You <laughs> guys, you guys are troopers, and, <laughs> and it has to be respected. Um, yeah. Shall I have a go at a? a well, it's Barbie. Yeah. Should I do a little synopsis? How about I do it? No. Yes. Yes. You do it, Jen. Jen, do it. Jen, 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 Jen. Just the premise. No, that's not my. My job is to be Jen. Just like Ken. I'm just Jen. And that's Jenough for us. (laughs) Um, uh, Barbie is stereotypical Barbie. So, Barbie, it starts off straight off with the concept that there are two worlds there's the real world and there's Barbie land, where the Barbies all live in this beautiful, neon you know barbie pink it's not any other color it's literally trademarked barbie pink world and we open with this wonderful like song number and it's barbie and she's we're following uh, margot robbie who's playing stereotypical barbie so like the classic barbie when you think of barbie blonde beautiful um cute outfit and it's straight from the bat you know straight off the bat jokes 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 the kind of thing you'd hope to see in a film about barbie you know playing on everything that Barbie you could make hilarious about a real life Barbie. Um, And it's, um, we get introduced to the world of Barbie and all the other Barbies that are there. And we also meet Ken, who's played by um, 
uh, I've forgotten his name. Brian Gosling. Uh, Ryan Gosling. Thank you. <laughs> Brian <playing>. Gosling. <laughs> Ryan Gosling is playing one of the many Kens in this world, but he is our Barbie's Ken mm. um, and is um, completely useless. But she kind of, <laughs> they are still boyfriend and girlfriend because they're Barbie and Ken. But she seems to sort of slightly be tolerating him rather than actively enjoying his presence. Yes. Um, and then we get another fabulous song and dance number. And then it turns out Barbie is having strange feelings about death. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and there's that great scene where she just says, like, they're doing a song and dance number and then halfway through. This was in the trailer, so it's not spoiling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you ever think about death? <laughs> and it's just like everyone stops and looks at her and she goes, something like wipes it off by saying, yeah. I will die yeah. if I don't get to dance more. Dance some more. Yeah. And it yeah. continues. So with the, a bit of help from Weird Barbie, she learns... <laughs> That there's some sort of magic, magic, magic. There's a rift between the two worlds. Yeah. Something, there's a child, there's someone playing with her in the real world who is giving her cellulite and thoughts of death. And so she, Barbie, must travel through to the real world, find this child and set things right. Yes. Barbie yeah. sets off. Ken is a stowaway. They go into <laughs> the real world. Hijinks ensue. And... Then it's just hijinks through to the end of the film, and hijinks and then I cried in shoes. Uh, hijinks in shoes. Cried. Yeah. Hi, hijinks. Cried. in shoes. In shoes. <laughs> um, uh, and that's. I think that's all I'll say about it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think that yeah. pretty much covers it. It's. Yeah. yeah. It's this big it, because in your opening sequence you have this you know Barbie Land. It's so beautifully realized, and it's this. It is. It is just so much a comedy. Like it's just joke after oh, yeah. joke, and it's oh, just yeah. the 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 humor derives from how sort of ludicrously over the top happy this society is, and also contrasting the high energy sort of what's the word insubstantiality of the Barbie aesthetic and mindset with the sort of very heavy topics of you know the Barbie Supreme Court. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and they're all just happy and they're just like you're yeah. fabulous. Playing, playing yeah. chess by the pool. Playing chess by <laughs> yeah, the pool. Yeah, that was really great. Whereas like look at those two Barbies playing chess by the pool. And I really like the <laughs> Barbies opening... in space. Yeah. Oh yeah. Space. Yay, space. space. Yay space. That was it. That was so funny. Yay space. Yay, space. Um I really like the bit as well right at the beginning where she's being Barbie so she's like um, she's stepping out of her shoes and her feet are still like up and yeah. she pours yeah. the milk but there's nothing in there because obviously it, she's a dog exactly how a child and she like doesn't eat yeah. the toast because she doesn't need to eat like, she can't yeah. eat it <laughs> yeah she can't eat it so it's like all these things that like she goes through her morning like a normal person but she's actually doing none of these things no yeah. but I just love that whole it's like, fabulous. concept that Barbie world isn't actually real like if they had her eat yeah. toast if they had her drink the milk, it would have seemed like it was of, yes, for the yeah. illusion of it being an yeah. illusion. Yeah. It's, yeah. Barbie is real. It's you know you've got to suspend all your disbelief. Barbie is real, but at the same time she's a doll. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. Barbie's well, real, but she's also a doll. So don't move on. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same thing, really, as the Lego Movie in terms yeah. of the sort of idea that there is a play world and there is a real world, and the play world is fueled by the people in the real world mm. who yep. are injecting the play world with all of their anxieties and their hopes yeah. you know and uh. so eventually we don't want to spoil it but it, it it reveals who has been playing with the barbies and demonstrates yep. that all of what we've experienced so far is a sort of exploration of her mindset at the time and so it doesn't feel like you've had your time wasted at all no. by investing in a world that you know quote unquote isn't real because of course none of it's real but 
Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. None of the movie's real. Apart from patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. from patriarchy is, is way real. too real right yeah. now. Um, yeah. But it, you feel like you you understand the real world better and the characters better, even though you haven't met them yet because you've spent so much time in the world that she considers to be an ideal world, which is one where everybody is beautiful and glamorous and happy and incredibly successful and live in a matriarchy that is perfect and works yeah. brilliantly and all the men just stay on the beach and do recreational <laughs> and activities do yeah. <laughs> and do beach. Um, but then the imperfections start slipping in, you know, yeah. because yeah. that's just what happens. Yeah. It is and weird. I, I really you, like the, yeah. the weird Barbie as well. Who, yeah. Kate it, I, don't, I don't know about you, Jen. I did have Barbies. Um, yes. <laughs> and I did also do that thing where I cut their hair off and I drew oh, on Oh, everyone cut their I... hair never did i was just <gasps> not that child that would ever have defaced my barbies like that my sister <laughs> probably did to good. one i would yeah. never this have cut says, the hair off my barbies this says would, everything about the two of you it really does <laughs> and I, it really says a lot about me my favorite barbie i was thinking about this the other day my favorite barbie was um i had one i believe she was still like a but like literally she was barbie mm. uh, i'm not sure i don't think she was one of her friends but she had a mane of, of like frizzy like crimped Oh yeah, blonde hair. No, I think I know the oh, one. And um, bendy joints, not like <gasps> yes. fully articulated, yes, but her joints could bend. That one. And for some reason, I think it was her massive mane. Of, I've always wanted massive curly hair, and oh I God. think it was her massive mane of curly hair. And I think she came in a cool like dungaree outfit or something. Oh, oh my God! I, I know. This is where it all started. <laughs> and and my elbows bend too. Oh my God! <laughs> so did hers. <laughs> like not a lot but, you got but the idea. a bit and I just loved her so she was my favourite Barbie um, but I never um, cut any of their hair off I never would have cut that hair off so my childhood story about Barbie <laughs> quick one Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, my mum took me to Toys R Us which is RIP Toys R Us but took mm-hmm. me to Toys R Us and I wanted to get a new Barbie but I wanted the black Barbie mm-hmm. ah. and we went to the aisle and um, there was the black Barbie and the white Barbie it was the same Barbie, you know how it's like Dr. Barbie or whatever. I don't remember sure. I don't remember the brand. I just remember it was the mm. same Barbie. And the black Barbie cost more than the white version. Wow. So oh. my mum being my mum being, you know, the fierce <laughs> tiny yeah. woman that she is, she Being marched Bev. up to the ma- uh, demanded to speak to the manager, asked him <laughs> why the black Barbie was more expensive than the white Barbie. They didn't have an answer for her. So we stormed oh. out and we never went to Toys R Us again. <gasps> wow. Oh my God. Yeah, so and that's, that's why Toys R Us closed down. Yeah, that's, that's why. why it folded. Just mom. two short decades later. Yeah. They... <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> you just revealed my age to everyone. Oh shit. She's 21, everyone. So, <laughs> no, day over 18. <laughs> it does feel so beautifully well observed in terms of yes. how about about the barbies also just with such a, a view to the history of barbie like all mm. of the outfits are demonstrated to be actual barbie outfits from various yeah. points in the history there's a scene involving a bunch of reject barbies um yes. including <laughs> like the one that has like a camera embedded in the chest and a little screen back. in the back Terrible, yeah. yeah and the oh. one with an inflatable chest um oh, so bad like why? and lots of oh. lots of jokes made to the uh the weirdness of the pregnant barbie um midge and also this is where we get a bizarre cameo from rob bryden as the sugar (laughs) daddy ken yes (laughs) and he's not a sugar daddy he's the daddy to a dog of sugar yes yeah yeah sure 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 don't sleep with older men for possessions little girls (laughs) it's Um, important 
disclaimer for this Barbie. <laughs> Shall we talk a little bit about the real world? Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, so in the yeah. real world, you have the um, a great relationship between a mother and a daughter. We won't try yeah. and ruin anything for you. But um, yeah. obviously, Barbie and Ken turn up in the real world. And Long alongside Beach. that, there is... Uh, it's actually Venice Beach. Ah. Uh, mm. I have been there. It's in <laughs> Santa Monica. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite places in the world. It's where um, all the muscle people assemble and also the yes. roller skatey people. Yes, the roller skate. Lots of roller skate people. It's very yeah. food to life. It's not. Mm-hmm. There are really lots of roller skate people there. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you have alongside them, you have the mother daughter. The mother played by America. What is her surname? Ferrera. Ferrera. Mm. Ugly Betty, Superstore, the <laughs> traveling pants. Yeah. Her. And yeah. the daughter played by someone. I, I don't know her name, um, no. but she was great uh, as the daughter. Yeah. Let me look it up. Ariana Greenblatt. Greenblatt. Ariana Greenblatt. She was lovely and and a great daughter. Yeah. And um, they encounter Margot Robbie. Oh, she Um, played the young. Oh, she was in in the Heights, and she played the young Gamora in Avengers: Infinity War. Oh. uh... And she like holds. Oh my God, was she the leading sixty-five? She was the little girl in sixty-five. Adam Driver helped her survive dinosaurs. Was she the lead? (laughs) She was the lead. Yeah. It, well, I mean, oh Adam God. Driver, I'd say, probably the lead. Yeah. Nah, no, the little was girl was the lead. She was the one they put on posters. Oh, my God. <laughs> she, she is versatile. <laughs> I mean, 65, I have to admit, was not a good film. Don't, don't get me wrong. No, I mean, we had was... a great time. We had, we had fun. Me, um, mostly me going, that's not a real dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, so I, so I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the real world yes. is... So you've got Barbie who encounters his mother and daughter, and then you've got Ken who encounters patriarchy. So he discovers... <laughs> With he great joy. <laughs> basically that men rule the world. And, men and horses. Um, men yeah. and horses rule the world. And uh, and then you have Will Ferrell, who uh-huh. is the CEO of Mattel. Who is wonderful. The boardroom, which is also full of men yeah. running mm. Mattel. And you also have Mattel itself, which is like so weird i don't yes. know how to describe it like it's, it's kind a, of it's surreal very it's like a surrealist painting yeah like everyone the, has these boots i don't know how to i don't know how i to think describe it, it's, it but it's great the way we it's know. like it's like the real world's the real world and there's no weirdness there barbie land is fantasy barbie land and then mattel is mattel is like a sci-fi film yes. of its room which is the you know, how you manage to have Barbie Land meet the real world yes, is yeah, via this strange company that is Mattel, that is of the real world, but is just so not normal. Yeah. So it's all about basically Barbie and Ken taking what they found in the real world and, and kind of either fixing or breaking things in yeah. the Barbie world, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah... It- yeah, exactly, and it just it's, it turns into such a fun sort of exploration of patriarchy and why it appeals in very sort of simple terms. But it is, yeah. you know, primarily a sort of teen audience, and it's still a very commercial kind of thing. But it's still it looks into it looks into why the patriarchy appeals to certain men, and you know why the impact that it has, and also sort of very humorous sequences of how it is then disrupted by the various Barbies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, which think... also includes an absolutely devastating speech from America uh, Ferrera. Ferrera. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, me and Jen were both sitting yeah. there like yeah. Like I was I had speech. tears in my eyes. I clapped. Yeah. I was like yeah, I was like yeah. I need 
people to be clear like i was <laughs> shook by this like speech about how hard it is to be a woman and everything yeah. she said is so true yeah like you know i in in worlds that we all work in yeah academia yeah. film criticism like a massive one like like literally pretty much everyone that i know works in, in yeah. an industry that is dominated by men and it's hard to be mm. a woman in all those those industries along with being in your 30s and having expectations of motherhood and having mm, other yeah. things upon you and then and then also you know having to be meek or having to be like yeah just yeah you know and not complaining and yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah it's every stuff. contradiction, isn't it? That, yeah. yeah, and she wraps them all up perfectly. And I was yeah. like, I need that speech to play every morning. Yeah, for Ali. Yeah, when I'm lying face down on a uh, shag carpet, I want American Ferrera to come over and be like, "Look, <laughs> look, it's tough. It's tough, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. yeah." And uh, and it also gets in the film. Also gets into what it is to be a human being versus. Yeah. Yeah, a doll. Know, <laughs> versus a doll or versus an yeah. idea and things like that as well like you know is it is it what's there to love about it yeah it gets into that it gets into quite a lot really mm, for a yeah. little film about a doll <laughs> and yet it all feels quite straightforward of just being about these characters sort of searching for identity yeah you know and searching for something that makes sense for them because the lives that they were living whilst very smiley and positive were imperfect you know, mm. and it does paint a very bleak view of life for a Ken at the beginning yes. of the movie, which uh, Ryan Gosling has yeah. rather hilariously um, been playing into in interviews. Yeah. When you know <laughs> they talk about, do the Barbies have a WhatsApp group? And they're like, yeah, I think we we do. A bunch of us are all in the WhatsApp group. And, Ken, and Ryan Gosling just saying the Kens aren't allowed phones. <laughs> <laughs> should we talk about like sequences that we like? Yeah, sure. I mean, oh, what have we got? I mean, I I loved so the much. whole. So oh, so okay, Barbie. Um, when she's in the real world and she's like looking at various people and yes. um, just noticing the people around her, and then notices there's an old woman next to her, and sort of says, "You know, you're beautiful." You know, yeah. that was yeah. that was Barbie a seeing the full range moment. of human emotions and not yes. just constant joy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Seeing people crying and like, yeah, that was quite beautiful. Yeah, it was. Um. um for me, like, not like the speech was amazing, but also kind of all the bits with the weird Barbie in. Where, oh, I love that. Where they Kate McKinnon was amazing. Yeah, yeah. where they are deciding how to fix what got broken, basically. Yes. Um, that's the only spoiler-free <laughs> way I can say that. Um, um yeah. which was a great scene, and it, and it kind of did that montagey thing, but they needed to speed up the plot a bit, but it didn't sure. speed up too much that you lost anything um, from the mm. the. Um, my scene highlight, which I also will not spoil, and it's the, I'm sad not to pick one that is not Barbie centric, but it is the musical number from <laughs> yes, the second half. Yes, yes, yeah, it's which I'm afraid that's... is already on the internet. So yes, some I'm people sure. may have seen but it on YouTube. It's beautiful. If you're not very yeah. on the internet, which a lot of people are not as on the internet as <laughs> she us says, youth. on the internet. <laughs> I'm on the internet, yes, but I only today watched the Barbie trailer. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, which See, I'm glad I hadn't watched the, it in advance. You know, we saw the was film a... two days ago, right? Yeah, I know. I just <laughs> happened to watch the Barbie trailer today, and I was like, you know what? I'm glad I had, like, the whole thing was entirely fresh straight off the Yeah. Bat. Yeah, um, it is fun. None of the jokes were spoiled in advance because yeah. I yeah. hadn't seen the trailer. Amazing. So, yeah. Do, I mean, if you you don't want to watch the film, just go watch the 
Just go type in Barbie musical number. There's yeah. a couple from the film, but I, you'll find which one I mean. Yeah, she'll <laughs> um, find you it. Do what, yeah, it, that whole it's sequence incredible. is perfection to me. Absolutely I just, amazing. I think yeah. it's just such a, per, it's perfectly the whole thing, everything they're doing with it and everything they're referencing. And then yes. just Ryan Gosling just knocks it right out of the park. Yeah. <laughs> and you're and there wanna... and you're going, oh, yes, I remember La La Land. He can sing and dance. <laughs> he can yes. sing and dance. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like thinking of other movies is something that happens quite a lot here because it is a very semi-literate kind of yes, film. Yes, so you've got The Wizard that, of Oz right at the beginning. The Wizard of Oz. That sequence references um, Singing in the Rain, the sort of yes. dream ballet yeah. that happens yeah. when he's pitching the movie at the end. And, you know, there's various little references to Greece and, and various yeah. other things. One of my favorites, though, that demonstrates how Gerwig is deploying these influences is a reference to the Hal Ashby film being there. The scene where Ken is walking around looking at the society with all its patriarchy and you've got the uh, disco version of the... Um, bow, bow, bow. Oh, yeah. The 2000. Da-da. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the 2001 thing, yeah. but it's with a disco beat. That's a reference to being there in which uh, Peter Sellers' character, Chauncey Gardner, has... Um, gotten away from the household he spent his entire life in and is wandering around New York, I think it is, for the very first time in his life. And he's this sweet, naive character walking around this big city full of strange things and he just doesn't quite understand it. And that music's playing to like suggest he's like in a different planet now. And yeah. using that here, if you don't get the reference, you'll just think it's cool music to use here. If you do, you, you get what it's saying about Ken, who he is... Mm. Like where he's from, what his experience is, and what he's currently feeling. It's a really beautiful way of deploying a cinematic reference. And it uses it all the way. She use, uh, Gerwig uses these references all the way through the film in this way. And it's, it's great. It's really good. Yeah. She does it very well. And it never feels like pastiche or you know, anything overbearing. It always just feels very natural to what she's trying to communicate. Yeah. <sighs> Should we look at some performances? Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Margot Robbie. Yay! Yeah! <laughs> she was She's... like perfection Barbie, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was just like... <laughs> so good. She was amazing as stereotypical Barbie. Uh-huh. And then she was amazing as like existential crisis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she was also amazing in the breakdown. And then she was amazing at the end. Like there She's was no amazing, point where stop. she wasn't amazing, basically. No. Yeah. She was perfect oh. for this role. I'm just. I'm going to forget it if I don't reference it right now. But the uh, Pride and Prejudice reference got a very big oh reaction in the room. Yes, oh, yes. We were, that was it, Jen. <laughs> Is that the one we were? That's really the one. So at. Like, it was yeah. like everybody had stopped laughing, and me and Jen were like still laughing, yeah. like for an extended <laughs> yeah. period of time afterwards. <laughs> because I that is genuinely I have done that. I have sat and watched the BBC. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice adaptation multiple <laughs> times when I am like in a breakdown. You see, situation. once again, deploying the references in a way. That increases that helps your understanding and empathy with so the film. Good. I'm yeah. laughing about it. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, she was oh, wonderful. Um, yeah. she, I mean, she for a start, she looks like Barbie. Yeah, yeah. So she, I mean, she, she pulls does. it off perfectly, whilst also yeah. not being at all hateable. Maybe it's just that I've grown, but like, I just <laughs> like you're just perfect for this. Yeah, I love this is. for you. Yeah, yeah. fabulous. Wonderful. And she said she didn't want to be in it as Barbie unless there were other Barbies. She didn't want to be the yes. only Barbie. Which I yeah. love for her because that is that made the film being yeah like, oh, yeah. oh yeah. absolutely a versatile number yeah. of Barbies basically yes yeah. and we shall get to them one other re- scene I want to reference before I forget about it is uh, the scene where it talks where they have to distract all of the male Barbies and so do it in such a way the Kens male Barbies the Kens oh my god <laughs> the male 
male Barbies, you know. <laughs> I like to think of us all as male Barbies. But they're not no, nearly as competent as... They're we, not competent enough to be male Barbies. No, we aspire to male Barbies. We're kept. <laughs> but when she, when she breaks down the sort of how to distract the men... Yeah. It, oh, um, my yeah. God. I felt, Such a funny scene. I felt called out you in did, the best positive I, way. I, and I you felt, did. No, you did. Like, I, in the way that I mean men did. Like, um, yeah. I was just like, yes, this would so work. Aww. Like, oh, just like, this would so work. And it was just, and I've actually used very similar tactics. I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's fine. It's all completely fine. So let's get into some of the individual Barbies. We've got Kate McKinnon as weird Barbie. I thought yes. she was great. Amazing. This is, She's a very big, chaotic kind of energy, and sometimes that can be a hard thing to channel into a role, but I think it worked really well here as Weird Barbie. Yes. Um, yeah, she was excellent. Isa Rae as President Barbie was really fun. Yes, <laughs> she was very fun. I like the bit... Well, do we want to spoil that bit? Uh, is it the swear? Because yeah. that was my favourite bit of hers. Yeah. yeah, we'll she leave it, swear. but it's... Okay, she has a good it's, swear. It's a very good swear. It made yeah. me laugh a lot. Um, I don't remember Alexandra Shipp as writer Barbie. Oh yeah, she was in it a little bit. Um, yeah. she is the one who breaks first. Oh, okay, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah, that's good stuff. Um, Emma McKay as physicist Barbie. Emma McKay showing up perhaps to try and disprove the rumor that she is just Margot Robbie. <laughs> because I watched the entirety of Death on the Nile thinking that was Margot Robbie. Uh, I didn't yeah. though. I definitely did. It's funny when they're moving and talking. You're like, no, different people. Yeah. But when you just see certain stills of them together, yeah, very similar looking. It's like yeah. definitely not. Yeah. Um, Harry Neff as Doctor Barbie was very good. I enjoyed the Doctor scene on the beach with the yes, thing. Mm. That was good. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Um, do I remember? It? There's so many Barbies. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Yeah, if I... lots of great Barbies. There's lots, a lot of very good Barbies. Great Barbies. Yeah, lots yeah. of great Barbies. Really you ones. all get little moments of, that are yeah. very fun. Um, it right. is an ensemble cast, but there are essentially. I mean, it's led by our uh, yeah, our our Barbie and Ken. I think. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, well talk a few more uh, people from the cast. America Ferrera, I thought was very Jessica. good. Oh, She's yeah. the heart yeah, she's of the movie. Yeah, she she really was great. Is. She's I like great. that she's playing. I like that she's playing the sort of mum character, but she's not the straight woman. You know, she has all of no. these moments and like imperfections. And yeah, in fact, her daughter's more of a straight straight woman. Yes, than <laughs> she is. she's like, "Mum, you're weird. Let it out." You know? Yeah, and, and, I, and yeah. the driving scene that. was great. Yeah, very fun. And the two shots you get of the husband. Oh. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's per- he is the as like tiny cameo character, possibly my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird. I've just noticed that. Um, uh, pregnant Barbie Midge was played by Emerald Fennel, i.e. the director of Promising Young Women. What? Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Oh, very, strange. very strange. And she is going to appear in Ballerina, which is the um, John Wick spinoff. That's fun. <laughs> so that'll be fun. If if I was a director and I was friends with the directors and they were like, I'm doing a Barbie movie, I'd be like, I... cast me as a weird bit part Barbie. Yeah, I love <laughs> cast directors me as a weird bit part Barbie. In... I actually really love directors appearing in movies. I think it's, yeah, it's I just want to stand there and Unless be like, it's Hi. Hi. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, not your own movie. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no. But other people's movies is fun. Rhea yeah. Perlman plays the ghost of Ruth Handler, oh. the inventor of, uh, yeah. oh, my God. co-founder so of Mattel. Oh, she's amazing. And it's so she's good so seeing her on screen again. I yeah. feel like it's been a while, and she's yeah, really great as this sort of and, and posits the kind of central theme, which is where does stereotypical Barbie belong in the modern day and age? Which is an interesting 
existential yeah. question for her to deal with of can we it's the one of the most popular toys in the world and is just a thing as she says that just represents a woman but does so in a very particular way that conforms to a very particular expectation so what is the place of that in the modern world and that's mm-hmm. really what the whole movie is trying to address and in some ways it's kind of amazing that Mattel allowed going to make this because I mean considering how it portrays the Mattel board <laughs> yeah. yeah with Will Ferrell as the uh, CEO of Mattel I think did... that's why it's so ridiculous like that's what you yeah. have to do isn't it you couldn't do anything even close to realistic for Mattel yeah. otherwise it would seem like a real criticism <laughs> lovable so idiots clearly not op- not what it looks like even if it does look like that you're not it doesn't feel like an actual also uh, the movie ends with America Ferrera kind of taking a much more active role. So at the end of the movie, you can feel like, okay, Mattel have changed to become more involved, even if I don't know if that's anywhere near true. Yeah. But there's a scene, I think, which I assume is based on reality, where they're like, we did have a female CEO. We had one in the, ni- in the 90s. And, uh, and uh, before that? At some <laughs> other point. Some other point. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. good. Um, I have to say that the board were not my favorite part. Of this I movie. enjoyed the board. The, this movie is my favorite of the year so far, but that the board part it wasn't my favorite because I'm not a fan of silly, and that I love that. The li- it I crossed silly. the line into silly to me. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't. I hate it. It wasn't like oh, I really wish they weren't in the movie. No, it was just like for me that was slightly over the line into silly. I don't. I oh my god. Also- mm, sorry. No, no, no. I was gonna say I also, I also like silly, but I feel I like I like um what's his name? Will Ferrell. What's his name? Will Ferrell. Yeah. When used as sparingly as possible, so yes. I maybe would have cut yes. the board scene down a oh, little bit more. Yes. I'd have cut them down more, and then I think the silliness of it would have been even better because. Mm. But it, Will Ferrell's such a big name. I think it's hard not to give him more lines. Yeah. I'd have, I'd have maybe made his role just even slightly smaller, just maybe. a teeny bit smaller. Yeah. Um. And just kept in the really silly bits that he's perfect at, you know. <laughs> yeah. I've just noticed Asim Chowdhury played one of the uh, warehouse empl- uh, employees, and I think I spotted him. I remember thinking, <laughs> that's Asim Chowdhury. And then he was just gone. I was like, oh, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, some very <laughs> odd cameos. But okay, we should get to... Oh, uh, I'll put it off one more time. Uh, Helen Mirren as the narrator Helen was also Mirren. very fun. Oh, yeah. I just really loved her as the narrator. She had some Really good lines. There was she one did. particular yeah. line which wrote Ruin, which <laughs> yes. had everybody in hysterics. I'm wondering yes, if did. that line was like actually her. I would love it if she put <laughs> that line in and it wasn't in the script. I'm sure it was, but like I'm that sure would it was been in amazing. the script. Yeah, it's she, very it good very though. Good. She was a perfect narrator, and also like I like that she wasn't a character in the movie because yeah. they could have made it that it was like Barbara Handler, but they didn't. They just had like an omniscient narrator, which I like. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. All right, we bring ourselves to Ryan Gosling as Ken, who is Ken. very, Ken. very charming yeah. in this role. He's He's got the charisma. He's got the, I don't know, he's got it, like the thing, he fully commits to this, is yes. the thing. And I think that's part of the joy is that this character who generally has been associated with fairly dark roles is just fully like embracing this very silly kind of, his Kenergy. He's, yeah. he's, he's in a Ken. He's in a Ken. For us. Yes, Kenneth. Yeah. <laughs> um, he is like so obviously obviously Ryan Gosling is a beautiful man. Mm-hmm. And even though in this he's ripped, yeah. Kinda he's kinda like stupid looking in a way. Because of the oh, hair yes. and the clothes. The and you actually, I kind of love that they made Ryan the Gosling kinda stupid looking. 
Yeah, and he plays into it like in his performance. You know, yeah. there's a where he's just like, Barbie, can I come to your house tonight? And then he like crosses his fingers and he's like, yeah. really hoping. <laughs> and she says yes, and he's like, yeah. And like, he's like, uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, the kind of, the relationship between those two, I love that they didn't make it what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, I know. They, yeah, they absolutely. Did, it, it was definitely a 2023 ending rather than a 1995 yeah. yes, ending. Exactly. Yes, agreed. <laughs> definitely agreed. And I was here for it. Yes, yes. exactly. Um, yep. Guys, you know, he's 42 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, was... him and Josh Hartnett. Either of them, I'll take. Yeah, him. exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Josh Hartnett, I do. It's the, that's why initially seeing the posters, I was like, hmm, Ryan Gosling is Ken. Like, I get he kind of looks Ken esque, but I don't know. He's maybe a bit older. What? No, absolutely. No, as perfection. soon as he got on screen, I'm like, he was made clearly Ken. Yeah, and was born to be Ken. He could die. Now. <laughs> he clearly had had a Ken inside of him and just wanted yeah. to be this. Yeah. Yeah. Like himbo. Yeah. But with a edge, himbo who's got a dark side. Himbo who starts to become a bit of an incel at one point. Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And I love they take it in that direction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's wonderful. And uh, yeah, he kind of steals it. Yeah. It is the Barbie movie, but he's so good and they give him I, so much to work with. I saw an article that was um, it was written by oh a film critic I follow and I really like. And it was, why it's okay if Ken was your favorite thing about the Barbie movie. And I didn't read it, but I've been meaning to because I'm curious <laughs> to see what the argument is. Because you don't want to allow Ken to occupy too much. But it is in its own way. And this is something I've seen from ver- uh, various sort of feminist takes on the film. It is a film that is kind of addressing women's rights by looking at the patriarchy. Yeah. You know. In its own way. So it is very much tying in with Ryan Gosling a lot of the obstacles to Barbie sort of realizing her full potential. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, I think yeah. for me, it was America Ferrera, partly mm. because I love her yeah. as, as an mm. actress, but partly because I love that one scene and also what mm. she represented. Yeah. But yeah. without Barbie and Ken, she wouldn't have had that to work with. So no. kind of like they carried the movie for everyone, but not because nobody else was good. But because no, it was a very good cast. They are, yeah. you know, yeah. the central kind of driving force behind everything. And it's it's such an exciting moment when you realise what's going to happen. When he says, I've got to go back and teach the other Kens what I've learned. And you know that we're yeah. going to arrive at whatever the Barbie version of the patriarchy is going to be. <laughs> yeah. And it's just going to be very silly and, you know, really and it was. skewering. Funny, oh. but also like really, yeah, really skewering. And it's just, it's great. The, the idea of it brainwashing the women to the point of what saying things like you know having opinions you know made you tired <laughs> it's much better yeah. this way God, to just serve so beers tiring. on the beach yeah <laughs> but uh, i think there's only one i think that brings us to the main thing to talk about then because we've ruled out literally everything else it's time to really get into and i think we should dedicate the second half of this podcast to this um <laughs> uh michael sarah's alan oh, oh my god <laughs> i did not expect to ever love Michael Sarah like I love him right now because I've never been like I'm, I'm not like I hate Michael Sarah don't get me wrong I've never been like a huge Michael Sarah fan I'm now like ready to like buy a poster of Michael Sarah on it like, <laughs> yeah. him as Alan was the greatest Alan is the best Alan. he was just so good so Alan, all Ken's clothes Ken's, fit him Ken's, yes, Ken's friend Alan yeah like, inexplicably like ginger and like yeah. dressed badly and Michael Sarah and yeah. just like every like just him being like so <laughs> innocuous. 
I'm just reading a, I'm just reading about Alan. He was introduced in 1964 as Ken's best friend. He was marketed as Ken's friend who could also fit into Ken's clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a really good sending of the dumb decisions that this that the Mattel have made over the years. Yeah, and like how yeah. Oh my God, he marries Mitch. Wow, so oh, it's so Mitch's Mitch baby's baby daddy. <gasps> he's Mitch's baby daddy. Oh my god. Oh my god. Also known as husband and father to a child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start saying that to strangers who are like, this is my husband and this is our daughter. I'd be like, oh, you're her baby daddy. <laughs> Actually, I'm not. Oh, oh, oh where did your awesome. baby daddy go? <laughs> uh oh. Well. I have a lot of respect for what you're doing. Fa- your thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I think adding Alan was like the perfect <laughs> addition of like the cherry yeah. on the top of this perfect, yeah. already perfect cake. Yeah. Like it was just because... like classic comedy. Mo- you know that kind of thing? You meet all the Barbies and you meet all the Kens and yeah. then you meet Alan and you're like, <laughs> what the fuck? And, you know, I, I did see some people suggesting, I, I, it's funny how triggered a lot of these very insecure sort of, I don't know if there's a collective term for them, but the fucking Andrew Tates and uh, Ben Shapiro's incels. of the world. Yeah, incels. The incels of yeah, the world and their kings. Uh, Joe um, Rogan. The Joe Rogan mob. Like, yeah. the, the, it's hilarious how triggered they've been by this film because all, most of the feminists I sort of follow are just saying this movie is way too nice to men. And I think that all, that extends to kind of the inclusion of Alan, who is kind of the good one, you know, the one who, yeah. you know, hates the patriarchy and, you know, is glad to see it gone kind of thing because it doesn't really work for him either. And it's just, yeah, it, it's definitely a movie that wants to suggest a better future in which we can all stop trying to live in, live up to the expectations that we set for each other. Yes. And just accept that we are enough. We are enough. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make the way for Alan. Alan, 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 and then uh, ah, but yes, it's a charming film. And Alan Septable. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like unacceptable, though. Alan Septable. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> this is Alan Septable, Jen. <laughs> oh God, but yeah, it was it was a Fan- really good time. Fallen, fallantastic. She sang Fal- phallus a lot. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> um, the patriarchy's gotten to you. Uh, 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 my weak woman mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! But yeah, Barbie. The anticipation of Barbie. We saw it uh, all together at the BFI South Bank. It was the mm-hmm. Sunday after its release. They had the big uh, box that they tried to put her back into, literally into a box. We made Paul um, get in the box with us. In the you lobby, did not want to go Actually, in the box they made us. me get into the box. Peer pressure <laughs> yeah, got me in. We posed for a photo. We posed for a photo in front of an army of hostile people, and <laughs> I was wearing the... the most pink like anyone yeah. has ever worn. Even more yeah. pink than usual. Like is what I already Kate owned all of those clothes. It's not yeah. <laughs> that I bought them <laughs> Oh god! But it was such an event. You know, it was yeah. everybody there was absolutely stoked out of their minds. There were cheers when the logos came up. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was it wonderful. Was it was wonderful. Amazing to see amount that much of excitement. laughing. Yeah, yep. just like people actually like, like guffawing at the at the joke. Mm. Yeah. People, you know, I I heard some sniffles. I had, I had tears in my eyes at points. Yeah, and yeah, just and the the beauty of like 
people coming together to watch a film that is essentially about feminism. Yeah. Even though it is in this kind of weird comedy way. Was yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, again, what I think unites both sides of the Barbenheimer sort of thing, is that this is huge crowds assembling for cinematic experiences that maybe you just wouldn't associate with big crowds Yeah, at the moment. You know, we've been so... Dull, what's the word like <sighs> submerged in the superhero domination of the box mm. office that we're just used to superhero movies being where you get these sort of big crowd moments those in horror movies which are evergreen um are the big moments for sort of interaction from the crowd and it's just so wonderful to see audiences being so excited about different experiences yeah i mean when yeah. was the last time paul you and i went to we go to cinema a lot together when was the last mm. time you and i went to cinema and every seat was like i know right yeah I it was know, sold we have seen out guardians of the galaxy we've seen ant-man we have seen all of the Marvels oh, God, come yeah. out this year we have seen you know don't worry darling on opening night by accident yep. <laughs> <laughs> well was, to be fair to, that cool. to be fair was crammed full of harry styles fans so. <laughs> that was pretty cool but like when that... was the last time when literally every scene was called i literally don't remember like no yeah it was it was crazy it was and I think that's something to really celebrate. That's something to be happy about. And I don't know how studios are going to capitalize on this. I don't know how cinemas are going to try and capitalize on it to try and keep that energy and excitement going. I'm actually doing the Barbenheimer double again on Sunday. So I will be curious to see if the energy has maintained into the second weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I shall report back. But yeah, I-, I have high hopes. I think this is really promising that this weird little kind of accident ended up becoming a proper cinematic event you know across the uk across america just i love it and also i also love that oppenheimer is leading to a real surge in respect for projectionists because there's a lot of errors going on in cinemas where they're not used to projecting actual film (laughs) and so it's nice to see people sort of paying respect to how difficult the job of a projectionist actually is yeah Yeah, the beginning when we saw Oppenheimer right at the beginning who was the woman who gave oh Edith Bowman Edith Bowman said um everyone can just be really quiet before it starts and you'll hear the projector go tick 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 and so everybody like should and you could hear you could hear the whirring of the projector and I was like yes everyone like whole cinema full of people it was the science museum yeah. imax in london and yes every single person had stopped like their cans of water there like because we got free yeah. water and popcorn and they were just yeah. waiting for this like tick, 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 tick. yeah and they absolutely bought into and appreciated the beauty of the moment and yeah i just love that it was and it was the same when we went and saw Oppenheimer at the BFI Max. Like we had the intro person who was this big, mighty Canadian bloke. I enjoyed. <laughs> was he Canadian? No, he was Irish. He was Irish. Yeah, he was. Oh, oh when we went to see it, yes, he yes. was Irish. Yeah, 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 he was. Yeah, he was Irish. <laughs> he was. He was he very was this, jolly. He was this jolly guy with his big beard, and he was there. And he, yeah, he got the whole crowd all sort of stoked up and excited. And yeah, it was it was just lovely to see. And also, he gave the phone warning, and the phone stayed away. Yeah, oh, Barbie as well. Yeah, Barbie as well. Like and our Oppenheimer. So... Yeah, and our Oppenheimer. I think just everybody really committed to this thing, and yeah, yeah. that's that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> um, Paul, you'll be very pleased that it's still incredibly hard to get tickets to the IMAX to see uh, Oppenheimer again. Hey, yeah, yeah. It's I, tough. I'm, I'm happy to see it. Like it, it's it's exciting. It's exciting the idea that it's difficult to get into this three hour. 
<laughs> movie. And I know that Barbie's selling right. out as well. Yeah. yeah. And you my know? friend went to see Barbie yesterday and he got the last seat at Cinemaworld. Oh, wow. In the IMAX, but like literally the last seat. That's amazing. Again, because yeah. it's just, it's filling out the multiplexes and I'm hoping it's filling out the indie cinemas as well. Um, yeah. You know, and I see, I see people complaining like, oh, what about my like tiny little indie thing? It's like, just give it some room. Yeah. Don't be Tom. Don't be Tom Cruise. And R.I.P. Mission Impossible's box office. Yeah, it's a I... shame because we loved you. We really yeah. enjoyed you and all of your tailor excellent tailoring for women. But yeah. you should have put it in August. Yeah, hang it. I don't know what this obsession is, but it should have been in August. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much all there is to say about the Barbenheimer phenomenon of 2023. Except to wonder, yeah. what might be the next Barbenheimer? Will there ever be another Barbenheimer? Or is this just absolute flat lightning in a bottle? Never happen again. Who knows? Stay tuned <laughs> to find out. Keep Keep we'll let you Jen know. and the film critic. <laughs> we'll let you know at the end of the theme music. Do, 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 do. Oh, no. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at Jen. This is the theme nope, music. That's my personal email. <laughs> <laughs> she does that every time as part of the lyrics. Uh, um, uh, filmcriticpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at Screen Mayhem for this is a Screen Mayhem podcast. For this our, is. For this is. Our theme music was by Jacob Blundell and our very special guest was Katie Maiden. Yay! Yay! I'm just, I'm literally just their friend. I didn't, I didn't do anything. Yeah, but you're wonderful. And uh, you watch a lot of the films. You get a lot of mentions, or at least you're there for a lot of these episodes because you're the one who's Paul, who Paul is seeing a lot of these films with. Yeah, we talk a lot of shit about you. Yeah, I love shit. Oh, yeah, no, that's fine. Actually, I would like you to talk more shit about me, would be. Okay, great. great. Get the brand recognition up. I was about to say for my, like, image. (laughs) she's literally a librarian somebody help this woman (laughs) okay well goodbye barbies goodbye oppies (laughs) bye oppies bye Maybe.